Right. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. That's where our scripture reading will be this morning. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 40 of Acts chapter 8. Could we all please stand for the reading of God's word? Acts 8, verses 26 down through verse 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go toward the south, to the road that that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel, to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Father, we ask now that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. Give us wisdom and clarity as we seek to uh, learn and grow by our study of scripture this morning. Pray that you'd help each one of us uh, to follow the example of Philip in preaching the gospel to those around us. And we pray that your spirit would guide us uh, so that souls would be saved and added to your kingdom. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of Acts, and this morning uh, we find ourselves in chapter 8, where we really have the first example of what we might call personal evangelism. Uh, So far in the book of Acts, as we've seen, there's been a lot of public preaching and proclamation of the gospel, uh, and we've seen at times thousands of people responding to these sermons by Peter or by Stephen or even Philip. Uh, Earlier in the chapter, they're repenting of their sins, they're being baptized and added to the church. And this all happened primarily in Jerusalem. Then last week we saw the gospel begins to spread into Samaria. So now it's outside of just the city of Jerusalem, beginning to spread into the regions beyond. Peter and Stephen and Philip have been really the primary preachers so far. Uh, We were introduced to Philip last week. Earlier in this chapter, Philip went to Samaria. He preached the gospel to them, which resulted in many converts to Christianity from among the Samaritans. And right in the middle of that revival that's taking place in Samaria, with Philip really at the head of it, he is sent into the desert to reach one man. 
So this is really the first example of one-on-one sharing the gospel that we've come across in the book of Acts. And as such, it serves as a great example for each one of us today. Uh, This is, you know, you may never preach in a church, you may never stand up in the street with, you know, crowds of people paying attention to you because of some miracle you just did, Uh, but what you do have the opportunity to do is what Philip does here in this story. You can share Christ with someone one-on-one. And so I hope that this text will be instructive for us in how we ought to go about doing that. Well, as I said, uh, Philip was there in Samaria. He's preaching the gospel, really experiencing uh, great results as floods of people are uh, converting to Christ. And right in the middle of that, verse 26 says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, This is a desert place. If you follow the news, maybe you're familiar with the Gaza Strip in Israel. It tends to pop up. A lot of violence going on there these days. But uh, this is a region about south and west of Israel along the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And so the angel tells Philip, leave Samaria, head down to the desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And notice verse 27 says, he arose and went. Uh, He had no idea why he was going. The angel didn't even really tell him exactly where to go, just somewhere in that road. And so he immediately gets up and leaves and heads down to uh, this road in the desert. And when he gets there, he sees a traveler passing through. It says there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, This man may have been a proselyte to Judaism, uh, or he may have been a Jewish man by birth that was dispersed to Ethiopia, much like, you know, Nehemiah or Daniel in the Old Testament uh, that ended up working in a position in the government. Uh, Almost certainly he's not a Gentile. Otherwise, uh, Luke would have made a note about that because he he makes a big deal about Cornelius in chapter 10 being the first Gentile convert to Christ. So this is likely a Jewish man who's living in Ethiopia. And he is basically the CFO, the chief financial officer for the queen uh, of Ethiopia. Notice the text says he had traveled up to Jerusalem to worship, uh, probably for one of the Jewish feasts where Jews would travel from all over the place to come to the temple. Uh, This would have been hundreds, possibly a thousand uh, mile trip for him. Now, verse 28 says he was returning and seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Uh, By all indications, this was an incredibly sincere man. Uh, He had traveled this great distance to worship in Jerusalem. Now he's headed home and he's reading uh, from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. This is a devout Jew. And verse 29 says, The Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. And Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Uh, No doubt Philip had to run to keep up with the chariot that's moving. So he's, you know, get the picture here. He's running alongside the chariot. He hears the man reading from Isaiah. It was very common in that culture to read out loud. And so uh, Philip hears him, probably recognizes uh, the passage of Scripture that he's reading. And he asks the man, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian responds in verse 31, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I love the humility that he has to admit, uh, yeah, I'm not really getting this. (laughs) And uh, really all of us at times need someone to guide us in our study of Scripture. God has given teachers to the church to help us understand His Word. This is one reason that the church 
uh, isn't set up as just a group Bible study, you know, where we all sit in a circle and say what this passage means to us. Uh, that's not the setup of, of the New Testament church. God, God could have done that. Uh, certainly there's nothing wrong with uh, discussing Scripture together as a group. We do that on Wednesday nights here. I'm not disparaging that. Uh, but in the design of God, he has chosen to gift certain people in the church that would be teachers, that would spend their time studying Scripture so that they can help the rest of the body. And their job, my job as a pastor, is to help you understand Scripture. And hopefully you all benefit from the study that I put in uh, of Scripture. And I also benefit from the study of others. I'm not just a lone wolf either. Uh, I read com commentators and, and Bible students and men that know a lot more than I do. Uh, we all benefit from one another, uh, the teaching and guidance that teachers of Scripture give. And so Philip is invited up into the chariot to help this guy out. He, he clearly doesn't, he's not getting uh, what he's reading here in Isaiah. And look at the passage that he's reading. Verse 32 says, The passage of Scripture he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He really couldn't have been reading a better chapter in all of the Old Testament. This is Isaiah 53. Uh, we're going to look at that in just a minute. Verse 34, though, the eunuch says to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And really, he couldn't have asked a better question, uh, because the passage here in Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus. It's the perfect opportunity for Philip to give him the gospel. And I'll just mention in passing that this Ethiopian serves as a great example for us in, in some ways as well. First of all, in his sincerity and desire to know God. He had traveled a long distance to worship in Jerusalem, and here he was reading the Bible. And not only was he reading the Bible, uh, but he was really thinking about what he was reading. Uh, he was asking good questions, trying to figure out what was being said in this passage. And he had the humility to admit that he wasn't understanding and to ask for help. And God made sure that there was somebody there right in the middle of the desert to help him. And so verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. First of all, a follow-up to what I've been saying here. It's not enough to be sincere in seeking God. Uh, that doesn't save anyone. We must know and believe the gospel of Jesus to be saved. God didn't save this man and forgive his sins just because he was sincerely searching for answers. Instead, God sent a preacher to him to help teach him the gospel so that he could be saved. There is no salvation outside of hearing and believing the gospel. That's why God had to send Philip to this man. And this should instill in us the priority of getting the gospel to the lost, because they cannot be saved apart from hearing the gospel. Romans 10 verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him, him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Next, when you preach the gospel to someone, we notice from the example of Philip, start with scripture. Uh, Philip didn't just start talking about Jesus to the man. He asked him if he understood the passage of scripture in Isaiah. And then in verse 35, after the Ethiopian asked for help, uh, Philip began with this scripture and told him good news about Jesus. And so if you want to share the gospel with someone, start with the Bible. 
We also learn from Philip to show people from the Bible that Jesus died in the place of sinners, that as he was killed on the cross, he was taking on himself the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin. And by his substitutionary death, he purchased our redemption. We can be forgiven because Jesus paid for our sins. And then get to the resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead in victory. Uh, now, you might be thinking to yourself at this point, well, how do you know uh, that Philip told him all of that? I mean, looking down at, at Acts 8, it doesn't really tell us exactly what Philip said about Jesus. It just says he preached the good news of Jesus to him. Uh, maybe that means that he told Jesus, uh, told the man that Jesus could fix his marriage and Jesus could clean up his, help him clean up his life. And uh, how, how do you know that Philip told him about the fact that Jesus died for his sins and rose again? Well, I know that's what Philip told him because that's the whole point of Isaiah 53. And so he, if he started at that scripture, uh, then he would have told him exactly what was right there in front of him. Uh, let's turn though so you can see what Philip showed this man. And keep in mind, Philip told him the good news about Jesus from Isaiah 53. This whole chapter then is about Jesus. So Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 2, says, He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Talking about how Jesus was rejected by his own people. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Philip explained to the man that this is talking about Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross just a few months prior to this, uh, there in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy of Isaiah, written centuries before. He died for our sins. And by his death in our place, we can have peace with God. We can be forgiven. Verse 7, here's the part that's quoted in Acts 8. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so, opened not, so he opened not his mouth. This is speaking of Jesus, you remember, before Herod and Pilate, when they kept trying to uh, get him to answer their questions, and he just wouldn't say a word. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. No doubt Philip explained to the man that Jesus was sinless, that he was God in human flesh. He died not for his own sins because he was pure and innocent. And Jesus died for our sins. Then they buried him, and yet, verse 10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So after Jesus paid that debt on the cross for our sins, God will raise him from the dead, Isaiah said. He, God, will see his offspring, the Son of God, 
and he will prolong his days. After Jesus finished offering his life for the guilt of humanity, God was going to raise him back to life. And Philip no doubt told the man that this had indeed happened. Uh, Philip maybe even had seen Jesus himself alive from the dead. At least uh, he knew people that had, certainly. And here's the whole point of all of Isaiah's prophecy, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, speaking of Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. On the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, and here in the death of Christ we live. That's what we sang uh, just a few moments ago. This is what Philip no doubt explained to this Ethiopian eunuch. Philip preached to him the good news about Jesus, how Jesus of Nazareth had died on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. And by his death, he paid the debt so that we could be forgiven. Philip explained that Jesus had come back to life. Jesus had, had sent them into the world with the message that anyone who will believe the gospel and repent of their sins can be saved. And through the course of this conversation between the Ethiopian and Philip, as he's opening up this scripture to him, uh, explaining how it was prophesying of Jesus' death and resurrection, the chariot that they're riding in comes upon a body of water, maybe a pond, a lake, some, some sort of uh, water there. Verse 36 says, As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, I don't know if Philip told him uh, in his explanation of the gospel that he needed to be baptized, and maybe that's why he's asking, or maybe uh, th this Ethiopian had seen the Christians all over Jerusalem that were getting baptized everywhere, and so he's come to realize that Jesus was indeed the Lamb of God that Isaiah had written about. And so he's convinced he's, he's uh, willing now to be a follower of Christ, and so maybe that's why he asked. But either way, uh, this guy is eager, eager to get, to get baptized and become a disciple of Jesus. It's so obvious as we look at this whole situation that God was uh, orchestrating all of these events together. Uh, he sends Philip to meet this eunuch. Uh, he just happened to be reading Isaiah 53, uh, probably the clearest passage in the Old Testament about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now he just so happened to pass by some water as he's hearing and believing the gospel. Uh, God clearly is working all of this uh, in this man's life. Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop. Uh, they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Uh, by the way, Philip was a Baptist. Okay, he didn't take a handful of water and, and sprinkle it on the guy's forehead. No, they went down into the water. Uh, this is immersion, symbolizing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The eunuch was confessing through his baptism two things. This is what baptism is, essentially. First of all, it's confessing that you believe the gospel. You believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he came back to life. That's the symbolism of baptism. And then secondly, he's confessing that Jesus is Lord, that he's turning from his sins to live for Jesus. Uh, Romans 6 says this of baptism, we are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
we too might walk in newness of life. So just like Jesus died and was buried and rose back to life in our baptism, we are committing ourselves to follow Jesus by dying to sin and rising to walk in newness of life. We're saying, my old life of living, you know, how I wanted to is, is over. And as I come up out of this water, I'm a new person. I'm going to live for Christ from this day forward. Verse 39 says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. This is how disciples of Jesus are made. Uh, you explain to them from the Bible how Jesus died for their sins so they could be forgiven and transformed if they would place their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and repent of their sins. And then you baptize them. This is exactly what Jesus sent his followers into the world to do, to advance the kingdom of Christ one disciple at a time. Now, this is what we've seen happening over and over throughout Jerusalem and Samaria so far in our study of the book of Acts, and it's going to continue uh, to other countries all around that region. And here we see such a great example of this in a one-on-one -on -one case. Uh, so the Ethiopian eunuch, he goes on his way rejoicing. Philip, on the other hand, is carried away by the Holy Spirit. Now, some would read that as uh, the Spirit just told Philip or led him to leave the man, and so they sort of just parted ways. But it seems to me that this is a miraculous uh, teleportation of sorts, uh, that the Holy Spirit just kind of plucks him up as they're coming out of the water and drops him off uh, in Azotus. Notice verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus. I can just imagine him uh, suddenly he's standing there looking around like, where am I? Uh, but uh, it says there, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so Philip continues to preach the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection from town to town until he makes his way to Caesarea. And this seems to be where he ended up living. Uh, we'll, we'll run into Philip again in chapter 21 of the book of Acts. This is years later. Uh, Paul and Luke end up staying at Philip's house for a while. And Acts 21 verse 8 says, on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Uh, one of the seven, you remember, Philip was one of those seven men chosen uh, to serve as a deacon in the church. And yet now you see Philip is called the evangelist. Uh, this is what he became known for. Uh, he was a frontier missionary in a sense. He was the first one uh, who brought the gospel to the Samaritans. And God used him here to win this man headed to Ethiopia. And I have no doubt that Philip continued for many years reaching people uh, here in the city of Caesarea. Philip seems to just be eager to share the gospel with anyone who will listen. The Spirit directs him to a chariot, and it says Philip takes off running towards it. He's just so sensitive to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the way, just a note there on the term evangelist. Uh, some of you, if you've grown up in church, you might think of an evangelist as somebody who kind of travels from church to church, uh, preaching a sermon or two and then leaves. That's not really what the word means. Uh, it's kind of a modern use of the word, but it's not uh, what the Bible means when it uses that. Uh, biblically, an evangelist is somebody who shares the gospel. Uh, evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, which simply means good news. <clears throat> and so evangelists are those who share the good news, the gospel of Jesus. This is someone who tells people about the death and resurrection of Jesus and how we can be saved from our sin. And Philip did this to crowds of people in Samaria and to ind individuals like the Ethiopian eunuch. Anyone who would listen, uh, Philip would give them the gospel. As we close here, I think the main lesson for each of us from this text is to realize how God can orchestrate these types of things to take place. 
When we share the gospel with someone, we have no idea how God may have already been working behind the scenes on their heart. It's not up to us uh, to win people to Christ. We ought to be expecting that as we share the gospel with others, God will work. In fact, he may have already been working uh, in the heart of the person to bring them to a point where they would be receptive to the preaching of the gospel. And so we ought to follow the example of Philip the evangelist, speak the gospel to people, trusting that God will work salvation in the hearts of people as we are faithful and obedient to the Spirit's leading. Also, another point of application here, don't be discouraged by those who do not respond to the gospel the way that you would have hoped. Uh, remember, this passage comes right after what we studied last week, the false conversion of Simon the magician. In both cases, Philip gave them the gospel. He baptized both of them. One was truly converted, one was not. This is just what Jesus told us to expect. As we spread the seed of the gospel, some will fall on hard, hard ground. Some will fall on shallow soil. It'll appear to grow for a time, but it won't last. Some will fall among thorns that will keep the plant from growing. But if we're faithful to just keep giving the gospel, keep spreading that seed, some of it will fall on good soil. And this is what we see in Acts 8. This Ethiopian eunuch was great soil, cultivated, ready uh, to receive the gospel message. <clears throat> he was searching for answers. He was, he was reading Isaiah 53, wondering what this meant. All Philip had to do was explain that this was talking about Jesus, and this guy was ready and willing to receive the gospel. Lastly, I want to point out that God cares about individuals, not just reaching the world generally. Now, he does care about that. Uh, he does care about reaching all ends of the world. Jesus said to his followers, make disciples of all nations. The gospel, uh, the, the goal is for the gospel to spread to every person on earth, for the whole world to be living in obedience to Christ. But God also cares about individual people. Here he takes this productive preacher, Philip, who's experiencing revival. He's preaching and you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of converts are being made in Samaria. Uh, people are coming to Christ in droves. And yet God takes Philip away from there, tells him, leave that. Go into the middle of the desert to reach one guy, because God cared about that one guy. God saw his searching heart, and he wasn't about to let him go home without hearing the gospel. And each one of us ought to rejoice if you know Christ uh, in the way that God worked in your life to bring you to a place of salvation as well.